our topic, our topic for the past 10 Saturdays or so has been the supremacy and excellencies of Jesus Christ. And we have based our theme on uh, Hebrews chapter one from verse one to four. So for the sake of those who have just joined us recently or may have forgotten what we have been talking of, I shall read these pieces of scripture and then we shall go to today's uh, uh, continuation from last week, which is on the Trinity and we're looking at Jesus as the son, the Godhead son, Godhead son. So um, Hebrews chapter one, verse one to four, it says in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Praise the Lord. So today we are looking at verse 3, part B, which is the exact representation of his being. Our subtopic has been his being. And therefore, we were looking at excerpts, uh, scriptural references and evidences to sort of validate Christ as God, because we are looking why we're, looking, we're trying to understand what's so significant of his being, what, what puts him at the same level as the Father and like the Holy Spirit. And we got to delve down into the triune nature of God, and we have taken about two Saturdays or two and a half Saturdays discussing that very element of the tree of the Trinity. And um, last Saturday, we, we thankfully and graciously concluded, uh, um, concluded on God the Father. Um, if, you, if you haven't been able to listen to that message, Pastor Peter will be sending it to you uh, very soon. So today we are looking at God the Son, God the Son, and we want to see him as the incarnation of God as a human being. He is the incarnation of God as a human being, uh, Jesus Christ on earth. The name he was given was Jesus Christ, and I think you'll understand Jesus, um, the back meaning was a savior, and he's a Christ, the holy one. So I will undertake going, I'll undertake this session with reading a couple of verses. At the same time, there's some information that the Father helped me stumble across, which I want to use as our introduction, because uh, I found it very interesting that there were people who, who made interesting quotes about Jesus being God. And from there, I just want to open up your mind and make it a bit more palatable for today's session because I realize that this topic can be quite heavy because it's very theological uh, rather than a hype message. So please listen in. We'll look at just a few quotes. Uh, then we will go to the verses and yeah, we shall learn what the Father has or the Holy Spirit and Jesus have in store for us. So 
one of the ones I found that was anonymous was Jesus is the only God who has a date in history. And why I found it significant, especially when relating to Jesus, that he's the only part of the Godhead that was represented in human form. And he has been disputed over and over again. I think when we began this session, we looked at how Jesus is viewed by different religions. We saw him how he's seen by the Japanese. We, uh, we saw it, uh, how he's represented in Islamic books, um, in other, other worldly religions. He's not seen as God, neither is he seen um, as the son. There has been a very big dispute in terms of subordinationalism, where even within the Christian factions, he was seen subordinate to God the Father. And it was a lot of misrepresentation because throughout the new, or I can say the, the Gospels, they can call them that, the first four books, where Jesus keeps referring to the Father, the Father sent me, everything that is mine is the Father's, you, Father, you have given them to me and I have done this, Father, I have done that, I have done that. It's a lot of the Christian factions interpreted that as Jesus being secondary to God the Father. And therefore, even if you look at the responses that the Jews had or the Pharisees and the Sadducees where they were very upset with Christ is that he referred to himself as God. We looked at that last week where he said, I am. And we said that, that, that those particular words, I am, were parallel to the Old Testament where Moses was meeting with the, the burning bush and if, when he asked, who should I tell them that you are? Who has sent me? And he said, tell them that I am has sent me. And when Jesus said that before Abraham I was, and therefore I, before Abraham I am, that angered, it greatly angered the Jews. And the same reference which we look at later, I think it's in, it's in John chapter 10, he says that I and the Father are one. And that was just another crazy situation. They got upset. And time and time again, when he would call himself the king, and you can tell from the book of Isaiah, from the book of Daniel, that he had, there were prophecies about a particular king who was seated with, with God and who had come to deliver the Jews. And when Jesus would mention this, they would get greatly aggregated with his character, the way he was carrying himself and the anger and would just be riled up really quickly because he was calling himself that which they were anticipating to come. Yet he didn't come in the same pompous style that they expected him to come in. And therefore they were not able to receive. It is not that they did not like his demeanor it's what he was saying. The words that he was saying were, were blasphemous. They were, they, were, they were unacceptable because he had a lonely state. Um, there was no history towards him. When they, look about, when they look at his genealogy, fine, maybe a distant relative as Jesus, as, as David, but he still doesn't fit in. He still doesn't fit in. Yet he made such an indelible mark in our generation. And that's why he's the only God who has a date in history. His date is not so much about the timing, but the significance of his coming. He's the only God, not person, God who has a date in history. You look at all the other gods, they were conjured by a man. Somebody mentioned something randomly. Uh, if you look at Buddha, if you look at um, how Hinduism represents their gods, they don't really 
they, they can't trace, they can't see his beginning in such a way that is significant to even our current generation. It is left to an uncertain imagination. Don't, don't talk in a certain way because you may, may be angering the gods. You need to be hush hush. But what the grace of God has done through Jesus Christ has enabled us to speak freely, we to find evidence, to find truths, and we were to defend that using scripture and by our belief and our faith in him. So that particular statement for me stood out, and I wish I knew who said it, because it's anonymous, that he is, he will continually be spoken of. I'm beginning this way, I'm starting again, because there are verses that validate this particular statement. When you look at Psalms 45, he talks about that his sect of righteousness will be forever, righteousness and, and justice will be forever and evermore. He is the only God who transcends throughout time. No matter how much is bashed, he has always remained constant. His truth has been absolute. Another one um, that we will use as well, we'll give scriptural references to, is that if Jesus Christ is not true God, how could he help us? If he is not true man, how could he help us? That is a very powerful statement. His name is very difficult to, to pronounce because of my dialect um, incapabilities, but I'll try. It's called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. That is what, well, let's just call him D.B. D.B. said that if Jesus is not true God, how could he help us? And if he was not man, how could he help us? And needless to say, we both have understood there's only a God who's able to redeem fully. But it is only by a, a sacrifice or by shedding of blood that there is remission of sins. So he could not come in his deity form and start shedding blood because that again begins to defy the whole purpose of blood being shed as it should be from the book of Genesis. But he is also carrying his full deity within him that he may redeem us completely. And there's no chance, there is no loophole in our new creation status. This information that we are gathering is not only to affirm our beliefs, but I mentioned previously that this is a way to justify our faith, to be confident, to be apologetics in this age, because there are questions that will be asked. And it will come from the most likely of places, which is our children, our colleagues, people of high educational standing or ranking in society, and they want to know what your faith is about. You cannot just say, if you don't believe, that is your fault. You know, that's not a statement that can be carried. You can't, you can't force them into belief through fear that you'll go to hell. That's not working. They're saying hell, heaven is ready. I mean, earth is ready hell as it is. So they're not afraid of that. So there must be something greater and deeper that you must come to understand, both by knowledge and by revelation. So as you listen to this, I want you to internalize as well that if he was not God, how could he help us? If he was not man, how could he save us? How could he help us as well? It's talking about God, Jesus being full God and full man. Okay. Uh, the second last one. Um, <laughs> the deity of Christ is the key doctrine of the scriptures. Reject it and the Bible becomes a jumble of words without any unifying theme accept it, and the Bible becomes an intelligible, ordered revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. I repeat it again. I think I will, uh, let me see if I can, uh, 
you are allowed to express yourself in an orderly manner. You can set. Uh, I'm going to post that because it is a mouthful and earful as well. So I have posted it on the chat. The deity of Christ is the key doctrine of the scriptures. We are talking about the triune nature of God that is also part of the Godhead. So his deity is the doctrine of the scriptures. His person, his being, is a doctrine of the scriptures. That is where scriptures stem from. For those that believe us from the beginning, we talk about Jesus being mentioned from the start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, going onwards throughout the Old Testament into now. Pastor Peter was gracious to share with us the prophecies about Jesus throughout the Old Testament. So go back and revisit as you're learning this. Start putting light bulbs in your mind. So the deity of Christ is the key doctrine of the scriptures. Reject it and the Bible becomes a jumble of words without any unifying theme. The lack of you accepting it as the true and only absolute truth about the Godhead or God and our identity has you reading the Bible as a combination of texts and words in a particular language. And that becomes very theoretical to you. You have met people who are able to speak very eloquently about the Bible, but there is no impact in their lives because they haven't accepted its truth. And if you cannot accept a truth, it cannot work for you. Yeah. Then accept it, and the Bible becomes an intelligible and ordered revelation of God, an ordered and intelligible revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Intelligible means it makes sense. When you read it, it is not mumbo-jumbo. And then ordered, you can see that there is a pattern. There is a, a structure to how God wanted he, himself to be revealed through our creation, through the sustainability of all that you call this world, through the regeneration of our man, through the redemption, through Christ Jesus, everything. You start to see his big picture, but why we were created and how we were created and for what purpose and to what end. So his person, his person, the person of Christ and the essence of the Godhead are all put together to scripture. When you accept its truth, he is no longer a mystery. Well, yes, indeed, we don't know everything, but we are being revealed today by day from glory to glory, grace upon grace, that he is no longer, can you say, otherworldly, he's present. And you begin to accept your own deity. You begin to appreciate the divine nature that has been bestowed upon you. We remember we spoke about that in Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 1. And we really discussed that by understanding, by growing in grace and the knowledge of Christ Jesus, we appreciate our divine nature. Okay. Um, the last one. The last one. If Jesus is not God, then there is no Christianity. And we who worship him are nothing more than idolaters. Conversely, I will, I will post it. 
Conversely, if he is God, those who say he was merely a good man or even the best of men are blasphemous. More serious still, if he's not God, then he's a blasphemer in the fullest sense of the word. If he is not God, he's not even good. I'll post that and I'll read it again. Okay. This guy, J. Oswald Sanders, he was, he was deep. In fact, it was a in a pulpit and I read it as if it was him. Offering would have been flowing, my goodness. Anyway, yeah, I posted it. I posted it. Um, so, if Jesus is not God, then there is no Christianity. We cannot be called Christians. If he's not God. I want that to sink again. If Jesus is not God, then there's no point of Christianity. Christianity cannot be detached from the Godhead. It cannot be detached from God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. The fact that it is coined from the fact that, that he is Jesus the Christ does not just make it another religion. does not just make it a title. The very essence of our faith as Christians is rooted in Christ. And Christ is not just a mere man, but he is God. The creative ability of God, the sustainable, um, um, the cohesion that the Father gives us in our sustainability is God. The redemption where we are no longer tied to our sins is the only accorded to a supreme being because he's the only one who has a power to forgive. In I think in one of those uh, in one of the miracles that is one of those I think it was Pharisees and Sadducees would say, "Is it not only God who has a power to forgive?" They were thinking in their minds, and there's no there's even in any other religion when you talk about the incarnation and all those things that they want to talk about in those religions, they are according your cleansing to a particular being. Okay, but in this case, we know the truth that our faith, our faith must be rooted to God through Christ Jesus. It's only that he came in human form to fulfill what scripture says. There is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. And you see the grand scheme of his plan is revealed in every single aspect of scripture. Just one more, sorry. Please, allow me. Allow me. And it's tied to what we have just said in the, by Oswald. Um, by Sandra, sorry. Only by being both deity and humanity could Jesus Christ bridge the gap between where God is. Only by being both deity and humanity could Jesus Christ bridge the gap between where God is is only through him have we been brought back to the father in john chapter 17 as we shall read is that he came he was given an assignment and he fulfilled by said all those that you have given me i have now given back to you but it's only if it's in romans chapter 5 that now there is no enmity between us and god but now there is peace through Jesus Christ. 
there is peace through Jesus Christ. The enmity is by sin. The disconnect from our identity was sin. But now we have been returned. We have been called back to the fellowship of his son. We have been brought back into the marvelous light of his kingdom. We are now with him. We are one with him. We are one with him. And it is all through Jesus as a son. Okay. Right, 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 right. Oh, I've not posted that one. So let me allow me to do that for the team that's online. Great. So today, the incarnation of God as a human being, Jesus Christ. I want us to look at various scriptural uh, references and now discuss his character, discuss his supremacy, discuss his essence. Remember last week we talked about that the, the triune nature is that they are one in essence, but they are three persons. The persons of God the Father, the person of God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One in nature, one in essence, one in, in their very existence in their being, but their persons are represented differently, not for the sake of confusion or just being as mysterious as it needs to be, but there have been, um, if you look at the dispensation of time, especially now we're looking at grace, the grace period, there is such an interdependency between the three persons to ensure that we receive this very gift of salvation. The promise of our future eternity is fed with the interdependency. The three of them have been working together, if I can call them the three of them, they have been working together to ensure that we are recreated to, uh, his, to his image and likeness, that we are now truly seated with Christ in high places, that we are now truly taking our authority and our power, that we are now walking as gods. We are no longer lesser than the angels. We are not lesser than the angels because if we, if we now beget that Christ is lesser than the angels, Yet he has been given a name that is higher, more supreme, that is superior to death. And scripture tells us as he is, so are we. That means we are not lesser than the angels. We are above the angels. And the angels have been given to us as ministers to do our bidding. How can you be sending your CEO? It's not possible. Yeah, it's not. That's, it goes against all protocol. So people who are still esteeming angelic beings, when you say an angel here, yeah, you are in all, you, you want to finish. It is an awesome thing. When you say, oh, I'm not talking about their fearful presence because they are greatly fearful. Don't believe what Hollywood tells you that they are looking all handsome and glorious. If you look at those principalities and powers and you study them, even with the book of Ezekiel, they have many eyes and many heads and their limbs are not very natural. They are very strange and grotesque beings by our understanding. The words that have been used to describe them do not really paint a pretty picture as you fluffy wings and all in whites and baritone voices for the ladies. And, and I don't know if it's a woman, she has this beautiful, you know, deep eyes that you can see forever. In. No, it's not like that. That's just our own imagination. What have been described as angelic beings are very fearful, yet these guys are subject to us. So we cannot worship angels. I saw Gabriel and I was like, oh, wow, man, who am I that should come before me? It's him asking, 
kuwa ni mwanzo that been sent to relate be maguda dida da lovely is in all is one with hey lord you sent to which relate okay you can put your name there but because i'm the one talking i will always refer to myself <clears throat> but anyway yes that is how it has been represented and misrepresented at the same time we are spending so much time giving worship to angelic beings they are here to serve us in humility and in obedience they are here to serve us right they dressed a little bit where was i let us take a journey to colossians chapter one colossians chapter one um, from verse 16, I will go to about 20. I think throughout this particular series, we have been going back and forth into, into this particular scriptural references for a good reason. And I'm hoping that as we read it and read it and read it, it will finally sink into our hearts and our minds and revelation knowledge will be ours for the taking. Verse 16, for it was in him that all things were created in heaven and on earth. Things seen and things unseen, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things were created and exist through him by his service, intervention, and in and for him. I will read that again. For it was in him that all things were created in heaven and on earth, things seen and things unseen, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things were created and exist through him by his services, intervention, and in and for him. They exist through him, they exist in him, and are for him. And he himself existed before all things, and in him all things consist. When you look at consist, it means they cohere and are held together. He also is the head of his body, the church. See, he is the beginning, the firstborn among the end. There they put a comma. He is the beginning, comma, the firstborn from among the dead. There's a reason why there is a split there. It's not just a continuous pause. Because we look at Genesis chapter 1. He was there in the beginning. In John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, we're talking about Jesus still being there. And the many of us will see that in the beginning, he's been the first one in the beginning, in the beginning, before the foundations of the earth, he has been there in the beginning. We don't know which beginning it is, but we know it is the beginning. It is the beginning. The first one from among the dead, so that he alone in everything and in every respect might occupy the chief place. Stand fast and be preeminent. He is the first one to have resurrected. There is no one else who resurrected before Christ. So even if you argue and say Abraham or he had really no, he, he didn't resurrect the way Christ did. And bless the Lord, those guys in their time, they actually there were a bunch of them who tambored themselves or rather who dug themselves out of the grave. The graves spewed them out and they started walking in town. I wonder how they spelled they saw the dead walking among. Okay, now they're leaving. Can you imagine right now, Langata? We're in Langata. All of a sudden, Langata Cemetery awakens. Then you see some people who died in 1818, 19, and they're walking in the same century. Are we? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, they're the replacement. Yeah. But anyway, anyway, he's the first one from among the dead. So why? Because or so that he alone can be in everything supreme. That he alone can be in everything supreme. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes. Yes. Because it is what, in fact, we had what was Mr. Peter, Pastor Peter said, <laughs> said, was that, um, I'm paraphrasing, but that particular analogy is that it enabled us to be regenerated. His, his resurrection was a typology, that's his example, a typology of our regeneration. So it is not just in the physical sense. It is and actually the bigger part of it is the spiritual element that we have a new lease of life. Our spirits are no longer living under the bondage of sin. Our bodies are no longer living under the bondage of sin. Our souls, which is our mind, are no longer being encumbered by the bondage of sin. But we have been regenerated in our entirety. Yes. So you are born. Okay. Great. Um, so he from among them, and so that he alone in everything and in every aspect, there you go again, every aspect might occupy the chief place, being stand fast and be pre preeminent. For it has pleased the Father that all the divine fullness, the sum total of the divine perfection, powers, and attributes should dwell in him permanently. And God purposed that through, by the service and the intervention of him, the son, all things should be completely reconciled back to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, as through him, the father, made peace by means of the blood of his cross. That set of scriptures are very weighty. And if it were not, it were not just Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, I think Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 to 20 would carry the same, um, the same evidence as why Christ is highly esteemed and why he is significant to our very existence. Church, or if I can say brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, I don't want us to read this just to see Christ as he is, but to see ourselves as he is. It is saying that there is his whole fullness, his divinity, everything is brought together by him, and yet he says that we are like him. I posed this question last time. What is our problem? <laughs> what, uh, what is our problem. 
And I pray that the Holy Spirit will continually reveal to us so that we may stop having that problem. That problem. It is, yeah. Yes, and yeah. Please, please do. Everything. I will I will touch on it briefly, touch on it briefly, because remember the world that we have been in or that we are in has been in a fallen state. The redemption that has been perfected has only been for us now, for our spiritual beings, now our spirit as human beings. But the animals, the nature as itself, I think it's uh, one, when, when we say that nature and creation is crying out for the manifestation of the sons of God. This is heavily linked to that. That while we are still here, there is a groaning, a deep groaning for that same reconciliation. Manifestation of God's glory, God's perfection, God's, can I say, his very being, his essence being translated into the, the nature that he had created, everything that ever existed and is yet to exist. That reconciliation that Christ did, it was the beginning, not only just for us, but for the entirety of what God had created. Because once there was a severity between God and man, in terms of sin, a lot of the things became corrupted. The hearts of men were turned, of course, and by that it meant that we no longer care for every whatever we have been given us to, 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 dominate, to dominate over, which have authority over. Things that are decaying, there's a, there's a decay in the world that whether we're in it or not, is continually being perpetuated. Then we talk about in the relationship, we talk about the new heaven and the new earth, that there will be a newness to everything. That is the finality of the reconciliation where we can physically see it happening. Yeah. Dogs will no longer die. I'm talking about dogs because I love dogs and my dog almost was murdered a few days ago. Praise the Lord, he survived. But yes, I will not be able to be afraid. I'll no longer be afraid about certain things. When my plants die, my tomatoes are dying, <laughs> eaten by monkeys. I'm not worried about that anymore because they are complete reconciliation. I'm using such mundane examples because I want it to be very relatable to us. Everything that exists now will not exist as it is now because there will be a glorification of everything by that reconciliation. Yes, it began. Correct. 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 Mm -hmm. 
Correct, correct, correct. Yes. Ah. Okay. So we are going to John chapter one, verse one, up to three. In the beginning, before all time, was the word. I remember telling us last time to replace the word with Jesus. In the beginning, before all time, was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God himself. In the beginning, before all time, was the word, which is Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God himself. He was present originally with God. And all things were made and came into existence through him. And without him was not even one thing made that has come to be. Remember, <coughs> we are looking at the Godhead factor, the triune nature of God, and we are validating or justifying the, the different persons of the Godhead. And the ultimate purpose is for us to be sure that Christ is God, and that's why he is supreme. And that's why he has excellent virtues that have also been bestowed upon us. So everything that exists will ever exist if there's anything that needs to exist, that, that needs to be exist to, to, that needs to exist, <laughs> that needs to exist is, is through him. There is no, and I'm not talking about mundane things or useless, not useless things, but things like chairs. His creativity, I'm talking about the very essence, the creativity that we carry exists because of him. The creative word that we have, as Kerry rightfully said, is because of him. That is why we, when he was telling the disciples that you will now have power, go to Jerusalem with me and you shall have power. It was to rubber stamp that authority that we that he already has to be rubber stamp upon us. When he said that I will send one, I'm not giving you as orphans, but I will send one who will teach you what I have you. And nothing that he will speak will be outside of what the Father has said. He will teach you all that I've taught you, and nothing that he will speak will be outside of what the Father has said. It is to ensure that we also have the same creative ability of the God. That we can change what we see by what we speak. You know, um, I was listening to something interesting um, about marriage, but the guy was going about communication and he was saying that the smallest, I think it was called a kogi uh, or a cork, the smallest, smallest particle. A vibration of an item is no longer nucleus, but there's something smaller than that. And it, it exists in a vibration form, which is sound, because it is equated to sound. And if you listen to some teachings by Pastor Chris Oyakilome and also um, uh, the late Dr. Ravi Zacharias, they talk about the metaphysical element where there are things that are unseen, but they really, they contribute to what we have right now. That creative ability, and talk about he himself being able to create by what he spoke, 
and existing by what he says, but because from his words, the worlds were created. From what he said, the world was created. We have it. That's why when you can speak to a plant, if you cast that plant, I think you guys are watching we eat like potatoes. You know, if you speak, yeah, you speak to a plant and you speak negative to it, it will surely die. You speak to yourself, talk about yourself, you speak negative things to yourself, you will back negativity. You will back negativity. Everything around you will begin to die. But when you speak life, you speak good things, you speak good things, you speak the words of the Father, that regenerated ability becomes yours in the, in the making, in the seeing, in the holding, in the tangible sense. I remember sometimes when I'm cooking, um, when I start feeling jittery about the meal, just by my words, say, this one might just burn. Ah, it just actually, it actually begins to burn. So I'm beginning to speak life to my food because I'm passionate about food and eating and all things food. I'm a gastronaut. So I see things cooking and I said, you kitungus, you will taste good. Even if you look like you're burning, you will taste good. The food will taste good. Even though I'm late, this will work. And that sound, as little as it may be, as weak an example as this may be, it is doing things. I want to go back as reference to uh, the incident that happened to uh, my family uh, early this year with our daughter. When she was born, the way she looked when she was born, and the way she looked when she rested were two completely people. She looked more glorified in her death than what she was in her birth. Things that they said were wrong began to be corrected. And it's because we spoke. We didn't cry. We moved from that place and we went to We speak to your mind, we speak to your eyes, we speak to your nose, we speak to this, we speak to your hands, we speak to your physical and everything. We are there's a long list I had written, I think my sister was sharing in those pages, where we would tick when we see something has changed, we would cross and say, This is done. And it happened for a reason because now we knew whatever Christ has been saying about our ability to create. It is not a lie. And even if somebody does pass, for those who have lost loved ones, or a situation that has gone away, if you look keenly and you are very, you know, you're very conscious of the ability and the power that resides in you, you will see changes. They may not have been in the leaps and bounds that you expected. I was sharing this with my sister, Carrie. But they were changes. And that means we can we have the ability and it is put together by him. He's the one who enables us through his spirit, through his power for it to be. And that we, not, we need not to be afraid that we cannot see in the physical sense because there are things that are unseen that are super mighty and they're still working for our good. All right. Yes. Titus, 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 Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. For the grace of God, his unmerited favor and blessing has come forward, appeared for the deliverance from sin and the eternal salvation for all mankind. It has trained us to reject and renounce all ungodliness, irreligion, and worldly passionate desires to live discreet, temperate, and self-controlled, upright, and devout lives in this present world. This is where I want us to look at awaiting and looking for the fulfillment 
the realization of our blessed hope, even the glorious appearance of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. He's called our great God and Savior Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. Our great God and Savior. That means that the him known as God is synonymous as him known as Jesus. Last week we talked about Elohim. And remember that Elohim was a plurality of, of God. It's not just one element of a God. It is the plurality of God. So when we're talking about our great God, it's not God the Father. I want us to be clear. It's not God the Father. And I think there's some translations from like Amplified Classic. Um, I don't know if I think Amplified Classic. If you see some of the, the footnotes or things that are in parentheses and brackets, that when it's written God, it shows Godhead. Remember that a lot of the things we are reading in English have been lost in, trans in translation. We are not able to see the essence of words because we have tried to, to, can you call it, to describe them in English and it's not, it's not, it doesn't fully cover, it's not very comprehensible of what had been spoken of in its original text. So as you're doing your Bible study, don't just stay with KJV as much as it is the, almost the most accurate one. Go through, go to the, it was in the Old Testament, you know it was written in Hebrew. Go back, understand what was spoken in that language. There are some jokes in Luo that can never sound fresh in English or Swahili. So, and the same way, you translate from English to your local, it's still not working. So you can imagine the Bible, that's what's happening. A lot of us are reading a diluted form, if you may call it that, of the original text. So we're not able to get the true essence of what has been spoken of. Lord and God, especially in the Hebrew nature, was Elohim, which is talking about the three persons of the Godhead. So when you say, oh Lord, my God, it's not talking about God the Father, which many of us have been confused over. So now I got questions, I, know, I think I'll answer one of them uh, in this form. I hope the lady you asked is here. But, and I think also Jackie asked it and somebody else, when you are praying to God, how do you pray? Do you address Jesus? Do you address the Holy Spirit? Now that you're learning about the triune nature, I want you to understand when we say God, we're actually talking about the Godhead. That is point number one, the Godhead. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter as long as you understand his deity. But there are elements of intimacy that you can relate with these persons. When you talk about the fatherhood of God, He's a father to the fatherless. He has adopted me. So now that gives a sense of security because of your understanding. You see, my father may do this to me, but my father in heaven, he won't do this. When you talk about Jesus as the savior, as the initiator of grace, as the finisher of grace, he's the beginning and the finishing and, and the finish of our faith, yeah? The author and the finish of our faith. You talk about the, 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 the sacrifice we talk about his friendship as well. We talk about him being our intercessor by what he has done. You begin to understand that you're just not a mere man. We talk about the person of the Holy Spirit, his wise counsel. When you say Holy Spirit, I don't know what to do here. Because that's what he has been, he's known to do. 
And it's funny, in Isaiah, is it Isaiah 45? I'm talking about the wonderful counselor, mighty God. It's actually encompassing all the elements of the Godhead. That means whatever the Father has, Jesus has, whatever Jesus has, the Father has, all these things So they're working interdependent, they're interdependent with each other. They are co equal and co eternal. So I don't want us to feel so confused when we are praying now that you're learning the triunity of God. You're, you're thinking you're giving lesser airtime to Jesus. You know, you say, now, Jesus, I want to, I just want to talk to you as a friend. No, you can always do that. I don't mind it personally, but let it not be in such a way that they are talking to three individual gods. They are one. They are one and they are co-equal. Yeah. So don't let the enemy condemn you that you have not prayed to the Holy Spirit this whole week. Yeah? That you've not mentioned him anyway. He is with he when you say dear father or dear God, you're talking to his essence. His individuality as well, his power, his glory, his character. You're interacting with God in his three persons. Okay? Matthew, uh, Matthew, Matthew, no. Um, let us go to Hebrews. Yeah, let's do Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4 to 8. Chapter 1, verse 4 to 8. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 48. Taking a place and a rank by which he himself became as much superior. I'm starting from him because I already read from verse 1 to 4 again, but I'm just beginning from that so you can connect the two. Taking a place and rank by which he himself became as much superior to angels as the glorious name or title which he has inherited is different from and more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you, established you in an official sonship relation with kingly dignity. And again, I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. Moreover, when he brings the firstborn son again into the habitable world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. He could not have been worshipped unless he is God. One of the key things that we learn in the book of Exodus, you shall worship no other God. So if he's commissioning that the angels should worship Christ Jesus, then he must equate that he is God. Okay? Referring to the angels, he says, God who makes his angels wings and his ministering servants flames of fire, but as to the son, he says to him, your throne, O God, is forever and ever to the ages of the ages. And the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of absolute righteousness, of justice and straightforwardness. This is being spoken of in the New Testament. This particular same verse exists in uh, uh, Psalms 45 verse 6. Psalms 45 and 6 says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and your scepter of justice shall never be depart from your kingdom, or it will be a scepter of the kingdom. So David, without meeting Christ, prophesied about Jesus. Without knowing about the triune nature of God, 
he prophesied about Jesus still being God, saying that the scepter of justice and righteousness shall never leave his kingdom. The same thing is being reiterated in emphasis in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6. Or verse 8, sorry, but verse 8, and says that the scepter of the kingdom is the scepter of absolute righteousness, and his throne is forever and ever. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. We'll have about, uh, there are so many, God help me. Ha, 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 ha. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8. says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. He did not see his equality with God as blasphemous, even though he was in human form, because he knew his deity was greater than the form in which it had been confined. Children of God, your deity is greater than the body that has confined your divine nature. You are much greater than this body that has confined you. There is so much more about you, not because of your distinct personality, but because of Christ. That you cannot see yourself as a lesser being because of the one who is in you and working for you. It's no longer about the criteria that the world has put. The world has put so many standards that even we have had the audacity to gauge Christ by those standards. Mm -hmm. Because of how we see ourselves, we are being unable, we, we are almost crippled to have a voice of authority in our different spheres of influence. You see evil happening, you can't, you can't speak against it. You can't even pray in, in authority. You're fearful that you will make the wrong prayer. Yeah, you see someone sick, you can't, you, you can't even just say that I know you are healed in Jesus' name because you're so preoccupied with the five senses. You are so engrossed with the limitations that the world has defined for you and me. There is nothing wrong with seeing yourself as a child of God and being superior. Not all about being proud and being admitted, talking about your authority. One who has authority has no need to be proud. But why are you competing against? Like all power is yours, so why are you competing against somebody else? Like, what does that makes no sense? Makes no sense. In my way. Makes no sense. Philippians chapter two, verse ten. Oops. The fact that he humbled himself. He gave, he emptied himself so that he could be in our likeness and that he died. It ensured that every name can never supersede his name and every knee must bow before him. Every knee must bow before him and every tongue 
must confess that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. I never saw it that way. Even when I say that, I talk about, I just think about the Lordship that, yeah, you know, demons must bow before Jesus. No, this is actually also talking about his being, his essence. That by the fact he had been given a superiority in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, verse 3, now 4 to 8, and now Philippians chapter 2, we have been told that he did not see it as something he famously equate himself with God in as much as he was in a limited body, and that his sacrifice gave him a name above every other name, that every knee shall bow. And now the tongue shall confess that he is also God, that he is not secondary to God. Great. Um, I want to close <laughs> because I think there's there are so many there are so many verses that and I, I'll give that as an assignment, as an assignment, as an assignment to us. Uh, to go and find more scriptural references regarding the mosquito die. Die mosquito. Shall not suffer like that. If you suffer then you shall get born again. And you will not be a cannibal. You shall not suck my blood. Anyway, sorry. I should have gone. It has listened to me. It's not next to me anymore. I got the power. Wow. Okay, great. Um, uh, John, John chapter, I'm so sorry, my husband, John chapter 10, <laughs> John chapter, John, 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 John 10, John 10, John 10, um, this is a long one, I want us to read from verse Verse 24. Yeah. Verse 24. John 10, verse 24. Yeah. It says, uh, this is after he had given a long story about him being the good shepherd. Again, uh, Psalms 23 was talking about Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you're everywhere. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> so, um, so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, Tell us plainly. These days are funny. <laughs> These days are really funny. Yeah. And he says, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. I think there's a, I don't know if I said it, but he says, the works that I do are also my father's works. Yeah. Yes. And that was in, in itself evidence that him and the father are one. Yeah. There's no ranking. The reason why, actually, let me just take this one to explain that. The reason why Christ mentioned the fatherhood of God um, a lot was doing the miraculous was not because he, as we have read in Philippians chapter two, that he considered himself uh, a lesser being, but or he had begun to deny his deity, but it's because of the physical body in which he had been confined in. That is the main reason. So that he now saw that 
is whatever he felt like now I am I am no longer the same level as God. But the limitation that came with the physical form sort of set a precedence or preluded that he needs to address him as a father and him as a son. Remember at his baptism, that was the introduction that came. This is my beloved son. And it was fulfilling one of the things that we will see a lot in the book of Genesis, the sacrifice, the death of Abel, and it's not a very good sacrifice, the shedding of blood, as I say, the shedding of animals, the fact that there was a giving beyond a natural sense throughout the story of redemption, everything there, it, it began to build a pattern that God had to be in a lesser form, yet carry so much greatness to show the level of intimacy and love that he has for us in reconciling him back to us to himself. So him calling him father was not to say that he was not at the same rank. And that's why I read Philippians chapter 2 again, to make you see that that limitation did not deny his deity. He did not uh, belittle the fact that he was still as powerful as the other parts of the country. So, uh, so I stopped there. Uh, I said, the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, that his works are the same works that the father does, and he does what the father does and says from time in immemorial. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Only God, God has the ability to give life. So if Christ himself says, I give eternal life, it exists that you know it if he gets that he he is God, he must be God, he has to be God. So I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And then he says this great disclaimer: I and the father are one. And a very powerful introduction and conclusion to his oneness and his deity with the Father and therefore the Godhead. And this particular statement, as much as 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 as, as much as it was simple and said, please tell us if you're the Christ, it angered again the Jews. And they picked up stones, wanting to beat him up. And he said, I have shown you many good works to my father. For which of them are you going to spawn me? And he continues, and he says, uh, then the Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for the blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. The same problem we're dealing with other religions, the same problem we're dealing with people who are born Christians, yet do not recognize Christ as God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I said you are God? If he calls them God to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into, into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God? If I'm not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works. But if I do them, 
and, you, and though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And they sought again to arrest him. But again, Jesus escaped. I was telling her, Jesus, Jesus has some espionage kind of, uh, you know? And I'm one other, then I'm only. And I just feature and appear. Yeah. Um, as I close, as I close, the authority that Christ carries, the authority that Christ carries, it cannot be devolved from the Godhead. It cannot be separated from the Godhead. Two shall become one flesh. Talk about that in Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter two. The concept already began from them that there is a oneness. There is only one God, one Savior. There is one. In as much as they are many, there is one. Their essence, their very being can never be separated from each other. And the fact that that is something that he experienced and he has called us into his beloved, then we are one with him. We cannot be separated from him. In verse 30, before he says that I and the Father are one, he says, no one can snatch them from the Father. Unless you disappear and you choose to denounce yourself from him, that is not even enough to separate you from his love. But you must be very hardened in your heart to deny your oneness to the Father. Now that you have heard his voice, now that you have known him for his simplicity, for his love, for his grace, you are one with him. The fact that you're calling the net, even if you forget it and you're back at the ground, you will still be known as the net. You cannot refuse to be called the name by which you have been called. It is yours. You become one with your name. When you think of uh, uh, Dorothy, because of the relatability I have with Dorothy, a lot of people are just to call Dorothy. The first person, the first person that comes to my mind is, oh yeah, you share a name with my sister. And I think about her in that sense. When you hear Tom, Mary, whatever it is, and you come on the names that you know, and you see somebody call that, it reminds you of the person that you're familiar with. So you cannot separate the two from them. You cannot separate the two from them. When you hear about yourself, because your identity is rooted in Christ, think about that. Think about Christ. And it's a journey that is, uh, it's, it is met with a lot of opposition because of the things and the troubles of life, the trials of life, the sufferings that come, even the pleasures alike. You can be tempted to forget your name, which is the Father's name. You can be tempted to forget your essence, which is found in his essence. You can be tempted to forget your person, which is imprinted with the person of Christ. But be it now that the moment you hear Jesus, may he remind you of who you are. 
and may he remind you of the fullness of God that is in you by his spirit. Reading about the deity of the and, and his glory, the way he presents himself. We learned about the radiance of God's glory just Jesus. We talked about his airship. We talked about his creative ability. Everything that encompasses Christ is within us. And it is for us. Let us Father, I thank you. Um, I thank you, God, for this opportunity to share, this opportunity to grow in grace and in the knowledge of your son, Jesus. This opportunity to be partakers of your, of the meal, be partakers of your goodness, be partakers of your love, of your wisdom, of everything good that you have. I thank you that we have this great exchange. I thank you that we have you in us and we are in you. How I pray the Lord we shall remove the scales or the blindness or the veil that makes us look down upon ourselves, that hinders us from having the revelation of your fullness that is within us. Daddy, I pray that we shall continually walk in understanding of the grace that is upon us and in us. And we shall not be afraid. And we shall not be timid. But we shall be grateful that we have this privilege to be known as gods, to be seen as gods, to be glorified with you. Daddy, I thank you that everything we are doing as we are learning the word is not in vain that we are being transformed daily from one glory to another, that our minds are being opened up, that every part of us is receiving a, a jumpstart. There is such a rejuvenation, a vibrancy, a grace that is, that is infusing every part of our bodies, every cell, every, everything that makes us as we interact with your person, as we know you, we are knowing ourselves and we are loving ourselves. We are at peace with what you have done in us. That we're not striving to be like somebody else, but we're striving to appreciate you in us and us in you. Daddy, I thank you that we are powerful. My goodness, we are powerful. That we have everything. We have everything within us. Our bodies might limit us by their structure or by their deform deformation, whatever it may be, no. But it doesn't take away our divine nature. You are telling us that we are an image of who you are, the exact image of who you are. Can we believe it? I pray we will believe it, Lord. I pray that you will embrace it. Even when we make mistakes, it doesn't take away our divine nature that is drawn from you. 
and how I love you. Because you never tire to remind us of this. Oh, how I love you. Because it is your pleasure to tell us of yourself that we may know who we are. It is your great pleasure that we have been called into your beloved. What a mighty God you are. And thank you for making us mighty in this land and in this generation. They will live here with more knowledge. And I know even as we are going to our respective homes, you're going to drop nuggets of truth and are so bewildered. They are so amazing. And Father, we eat, eat not just for our own consumption. May we be so eager to share it. May we be so eager to fellowship with others that they may receive the same grace that you've given us. Clearly, we have received it and clearly we shall give it back to those who need to hear the truth. They are grateful for everyone here who has made it their choice and their purpose to come and learn. It is not easy because they have other things that they have chosen to do. They have chosen you now. Lord, may, may they recognize the reward that is upon them. May they see that, may they see that reward. May it be in their finances, may it be in their health. Maybe in their relationships, maybe in their interactions at work, in their hobbies. Thank you. In Jesus' name, we have asked them to receive. Amen. We are done. We are done. Online. How are you? Are you still there? Oh, there's a question. The spirits of just men have not yet received the bodies we should all receive. Yes? Yes. Yes, Helen. Hi, Helen. Nice to have you here. Yes, we have not yet received our glorified bodies. Um, why I say that, the scriptural evidence that um, I think it is, uh, Paul is talking about our tent, this tent, that there is an escape that will come. The corruption that this tent usually holds us uh, against or is to be finally escaped when we shall have our final glorification of Christ. That there'll be no more death, there'll be no more decay, there'll be no more pain as we experience it now, as we know it now. Even for the spirits of those who have already left, um, it is debatable because there are people who say they've already received their glorified bodies. Uh, the others are saying that we are waiting for the second coming of Christ that now we shall all receive because now judgment will have been done. I think there's a lot of study that needs to be done in comparison for those who have gone before us. But one thing I hold on to, and I think I will, I will look for that specific scripture. Yes, yes please read it for me. Yeah, Hebrews chapter 23. 
let me find it. Yes, and this is not the argument because I'm saying there's a, there's a final final redemption. Now, whether it is for both who have gone before us or those who are here as well, I am yet to be very sure about it. But this is the one that actually had come to mind, that there is a perfection that really exists for those who have already left this particular mortal body. Yes. So um, please, allow, I don't know if Pastor Peter has anything to add to that one, but I think it would be prudent for us to study a bit more and then find a, a, a conclusion. That the spirits of the just, have they received their new bodies? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So allow us, Helen, um, to just research deeper. I don't want to just talk because we have mouths. And let's talk because we have knowledge and the truth yeah <laughs> so i hope that's okay with you i think by next week we shall have a proper response huh? okay you're welcome um any other question or comments for the team that's online yes please do research if you can the online team any question or comments Okay. Well, um, hi, Lynette. Hello. Thank you for the word. Um, mine was just something that came into my mind when you are reading John 1 1. And uh, mm. you realize uh, the gospel of John is quite different, especially how he starts uh, what you have just read in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. Mm. Well, the other three gospels uh, <clears throat> took time. Mm. Uh, to explain the genealogy of Christ mm. uh, in regard to his human background. Mm. Uh, this book of John is very unique. You can see the way he starts it. Like mm. Matthew starts, uh, this was son of who, who, son of this one, till David, till Joseph, I mean, till Jesse, David, all the way to Christ. This one <laughs> goes mm. to Genesis and begins before Genesis was God, and I mean, Jesus was there, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And uh, I find it to be very unique. Uh, it almost sounds like a uh, like an epistle, mm -hmm. yet uh, it's a gospel. So, yeah, that is the observation I just uh, made when you're reading that John 1-1. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, common to the rest. Eh? Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, anybody else before we end the Zoom session? Yes, the Zoom session. But God bless you, you can speak. Anybody else?
Uh, hi, Pastor Lynette. <laughs> Mine is also in addition to the fact that you're talking about us reading from our words and all that. And um, I think most of the time we think of words, words, then we forget about our thoughts as well. And um, everything that comes to our mind should always be shunned at thought levels. Uh, there are enough times that I've thought of things and they've come to pass, uh, some of them more negative or positive. So we should be in a position to monitor our mind, control our mind, put our mind in a place whereby we can all think positive because it all comes from the thoughts and everything. You see, most of the earth Christians think that as, as long as I've thought about it and I've said it, now I'm safe until I mention it, then that's when I'm planting it. It's all planted in our thoughts and we see it takes us back to even Job, uh, the God. God so much loved ones. You see, he was always scared. Anytime that uh, the children, sorry, I came in the kitchen. <laughs> um, anytime that anything would, that the, his kids would be together and get, uh, bash together, do something, he's always scared that maybe they would have done something wrong. And uh, he had to do sacrifice to cleanse and just in case. You're not told that, that the kid ever did anything wrong, but he was always trying to be very uh, to be very careful not to disobey God. And you see, if you thought, it's not like always he said it. I'm sure most of the time he just thought, oh, maybe my kids have done this. It yeah. eventually came to pass. It came to pass, and I think after that, Job lived a very easy life. No worries, no nothing. It's God who gives and God who protects. I, I'm sure he became way better than he was before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Say hi to your loved ones there as they are tormenting, not tormenting, sorry. They are blessing you in the kitchen. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Actually, it's true. There's a whole teaching about Job being a being a guy who, who, who was, a, what do you call it? What are those apparent who are always fearful? Um, they have a, a foreboding that's always upon, upon them. Yes, an evil foreboding. Because he might have looked like a very righteous man, but the guy was living in fear, constant fear, no faith, constant fear. Every morning, we must pray and do a sacrifice just in case something was wrong. And that, the, his thoughts actually buffed something. It buffed the death and the downfall of a lot of things that happened around him. And if I believe if he was really exposing himself to like knowing who God is and the kind of love that God had for him, some of those issues, if not, if not some, if not all, I mean, would not have befallen him. And he's now being used as a point of reference of people who are very fearful. You're always fearing that something wrong is going to happen. That which I feared most, those are his words, that which I feared most came to pass. That's a topic for another day. Let's stop fearing so that they may not come to pass. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I... I just wanted to give a response to Helen about the question of the the resurrection of the body. Um, Yeah, the glorified body. I think it's just a very clear understanding if you look at the pattern of the Bible. The examples of the dead being resurrected, those who have been buried, is the example of Christ and also Lazarus, which involved their physical bodies 
coming out of the grave. So that's why Paul calls this body mortal and he says it will be swallowed up in immortality, which means the mortal body is part of that process of being swallowed up to immortality. Therefore, in the same way that Christ appeared in a glorified body, his physical body did not remain in the tomb. They went to the tomb and did not find the body. And in the same way, that's what the Bible says, when Christ comes, the dead in Christ shall rise first. It says the dead in Christ shall rise first. So the question is, are the dead in Christ in the grave? They are not in the grave. Are they in the grave? I don't know, maybe you're just sleeping. No, they are present with the Lord. But it's, it's that understanding that their bodies will rise first. You get it? Those who are dead, their, their bodies will rise first and then us who are alive also will be caught up with them and we shall be transformed and we shall meet the Lord. But the thing is, is that too difficult? Shall these dry bones live? I think we I, I think without speculation, you just look at the pattern of scripture because any doctrine is always based on first mention and appearance in the Bible. Even if you want to look at redemption, you have to draw it back to the patterns of the Bible before. So if we look at the pattern of Jesus, it involved the body, right? When that guy was asked, shall these dry bones live, for example? Huh? When you talk about dry bones, are they all intact? Are they just skeletons intact or anything? That's what you get it. So we can just look at the spirit of scripture and we can base it on the spirit of scripture, which is clearly the mortal was swallowed up in immortality which means that the agents of the, the agency of the physical body is required for that resurrection. Whichever, if it has disintegrated, God knows how to fix it back. He knows how to collect those, uh, I don't know. Yeah, all those, he, it is upon the Lord. Yeah, everything. So it is upon God to do it, but we know. Yeah. What about now?
Christ Jesus, now is in the body in us. So, when a person dies, it is the way that dies. So, I believe that, uh, you know, when you die, you move out of time. So, it's really in consideration if someone dies now, someone dies a thousand years. Once you're gone, I don't even think it has any impact so much. The conscience of a human being was crossed on the other side. So that, as scripture says, that when he comes back, those who are with Christ uh, will rise up, the Lord will rise up first. And then those who be alive, the boys will transform. And then we'll go back to meet him up there. So maybe not really stretching so much. The scripture does not give us much detail. The sequence of how this will happen. If I mean somebody died at six thousand years ago, they'll be the first ones to die. Would it be just an instant thing? Boom, and you know, and she says, Yes, as they await for us when the crowd of witnesses is cheered, what form do they have? Yeah, in this now, it's it's now. The spirit, form. The spirit form. Yeah, yeah that's what it is. Like, that, that, that's the form because if you understand the account. If you, if you understand the account of Peter when he says about theologians argue, but the Bible is clear that Jesus went and ministered to the spirits in prison. And we also read about the story of uh, uh, the rich man and Lazarus. And were, uh, the, the Bible says that their bodies were carried to a tomb, right? But we see them, the account is given of them existing in a certain form. But the bodies were buried, but they were existing in a spirit form. So that's how they exist. Based just on the simplicity of scripture, that's how they exist. But we believe when the Bible says, because again, it would dispute the argument that they are asleep. Because why did Jesus give the account that they were in Hades? Huh? Because they were there, but their bodies were taken to a tomb, but they were there, but they were there in a form, which is a spirit form. So therefore, it means that when the Bible says those who are dead in Christ shall rise first, it talks about now their bodies also being caught up and then ours, we shall be transformed also. That's the uh, explanation that comes from the scripture. Of course, we've seen that Jesus sort of so I wanted to ask in his case, will he also be subjected to a different spiritual body? Jesus, as well. You remember the movies that you used to see Jesus going and telling disciples later. there is an illusion that the one creates I wanted to ask, is Jesus also going to be subjected to you? He already was, because that's why it's called the first one from the dead. Because from the dead, he was the first one to rise and and go uh, into the Father's presence. You get it? I'm saying that because he came and he said, touch. Touch. Exactly. 
Yeah, but the body could pass through walls and eat food. It sounds like a sci fi. Eh? Fat in the spirit of she sells. Actually, Matthew 22, verse 30, when Jesus was speaking about marriage, he said, when they asked him, uh, this guy had married this one and then married this one, so who will be the wife in heaven? Uh, I mean, the guys will take domestics to heaven. Uh, Jesus said, uh, ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, not the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But are ours the angels of God in heaven? When he gave that reference, but they are as the angels of God in heaven. One, it answers the question of how will I look like and everything. The Bible says they, we will be like the angels of God in heaven. So I don't know. It's not to say it's not to say that you have a 
Nah, because according to the same Bible, it says that you have entertained angels unaware. For you to entertain angels unaware, it means that the angel did not have wings. It looked like a man. How can you entertain an angel without knowing? Yeah, even in the Old Testament, there are those who appear uh, as men, like to Abraham and things like those. You understand? So, one, we know that it's not to say that you'll have wings when it's referring to appearing as an angel, but at the same time, we will be as the spirits, which means that some of these concerns we have about the physical body with its limitations, one will not be there because it says that they will be swallowed up with immortality and there's a perfection that is indicated there. So it means that whatever you feel like is an imperfection will not be will not be there anymore. So you can just take solace in that if you've been so concerned about the skin tone, relax. Don't bleach. Don't bleach yourself. Identify him. Yeah. The ones to a mouse, he had hindered them from first of all knowing him. But the other ones, he appeared to them, they thought him was a ghost, but it was him. Yeah. I can the flesh at a point, come on, things like lack of knowledge or unbelief. 
we are consistently living beyond below. Yeah, I can call it below our okay, below our expectations. This interaction that we have brings an awareness. You cannot talk about being in the supernatural if you not understood the person of Christ. And then you know it's also to understand it this way. God is intentional with his purposes. You get it. It is not like one we work out for sure. You recall in the Bible, there was a guy who was a magician. Hey, and then he saw this guy dispensing Holy Ghost. He was like, can I buy? Can, he, can I get that thing? You, you know, and Peter told him, perish with your man. Yeah, the Bible, that darkness came and fell upon him and he was blind. This is the book of Acts. Um, so for, even when God does, let's say, supernatural acts, apparently, if you really understand the workings of God, those supernatural acts are with us daily, but sometimes you don't. You know, sometimes you don't know. Where maybe, maybe too, you've just gone to cross the road. There was a guy who was coming and he was, he was drunk, but he just decided to break or stop somewhere for some reason. And maybe the guy was intending. There's so many things we don't see the hand of we, we don't see the hand of God operating. Yeah. Absolutely. But at the same time, you see now there are those who try to get into the spiritual world through means of darkness. And now for them, they do it for their own selfish agenda. So you see somebody flying with a broom. <laughs> so out there. Like there's one Lynette met on the highway who had, uh, I think she was flying, then she went a territory of other witches and she fell on the highway. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like um, those things they do exist, eh? you, you know, they exist. No, no, the supernatural world exists, uh, and she was not about that. So they do exist. Okay, I think we can call it a wrap for today because of time. Sarah, welcome. You eat so much water.